Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Hello all, it's Amber Wahid and welcome to the Experts in Dubai show. In this episode in the behind the scenes series, we're talking all about the local media, the behind the scenes investigations, resistance journalism, the war against free speech. And it is this platform that helped me tremendously in my legal case and helped stop a convicted fraudster and prevented other investors from losing their savings. I remember I had a court judgment in my hand and no one was paying any attention to it. None of the big branded names in Dubai and overseas. And they were all allowing a rogue financial advisor to continue to work and advise people on their money. And I had no option but to turn to the local media. And what I learned was that the pen is always mightier than the sword and is really the only lifeline you may have. And in my case, it finally stopped a fraudster in his tracks. In high-profile cases, there are two trials, outside the courtroom and inside. The court of public opinion is very important. That's sometimes the real trial. People may say you need a good lawyer to get a result. That's, of course, true. But I was to learn you need a good journalist to actually stop ruthless people. And my guest today has stopped many fraudsters in Dubai and internationally in their tracks. Today, we have Mazar Furuki. He is one of the most popular investigative journalists in Dubai. He's won multiple international awards for excellence in journalism. He's from the Gulf News, a daily local newspaper. And Mazar is the senior features editor there. He is what you might call an undercover journalist and a really interesting guy. The way I know him is as a provocateur and a truth teller. And I really admire his unafraid nature and approach to news and information. And I think that's how you're going to feel too. He has written and exposed all sorts of stories in Dubai and he's put over 250 people in jail. You may have heard about some of his stories. So there was the time he posed as a chef to uncover how a job portal with 33 million registered users had been using in-house call center agents to impersonate recruitment managers of top companies to offer non-existent jobs. And these fraudsters were collecting millions of dollars for service fees. He posed as the owner of a defunct company to buy an ISO 9001 certificate. So he paid an agency $1,500 and they printed him a certificate in, say, three days. And this agency had issued over 700 fake certificates across several industries in the region, making 16 million dirhams in five years. And I loved the headline to the article. What they lack in morals, they simply make up with toner. And he was the guy who broke the story about Jill Wallace, Acre the Queen of Con. Remember her? Originally from glamorous Wolverhampton back in the UK and a convicted globetrotting fraudster, and he exposed how she was planning her next rip-off scheme in the UAE. Fortunately, he got her arrested and deported. More recently, he busted a fake Emirates pilot, and among my favourite story is the one about a dead man who came back to life to scam scores of traders. And when I say he came back to life, he was literally in a coffin. Mazar, look at you, full of accolade and amazingness. Someone who just wants to write real news. Welcome. Thank you for being here and sharing your stories. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You get to wake up every day and essentially plan your adventure. You get to meet all sorts of people and you get to help them and put the bad guys away and make a real impact on the community. Absolutely. Each day brings new challenges and new opportunities. And you get to meet new people and hear their stories 
and then to be able to make a difference into their lives. So that is something that is really enjoy, absolutely relish it. I would love to know if you can just share with people where you started out and what your dream was back in the early days when you were in India. Well, no one in my family or even extended family was even remotely connected to journalism. How do I describe it? Something doing out of the ordinary. So I enrolled into a journalism institute after finishing college, and then I landed a job with a local publication. It was a small setup, but the good thing about it is that I was able to do crime reporting, cultural reporting, arts, local politics, just about everything. So that gave me a, like a bit of a grounding and experience. And then I worked across publications like the Times of India and Hindustan Times and Pioneer. And uh, in 2005, I believe, I came to Dubai. And this was like a different setup because I was in a country where we said, okay, you can't do much journalism, you know, there is a bit of so much restriction. You'll be just doing handouts and press releases. So I said, okay, let me try and, and see and if I can raise the bar and do something different. So then I ventured into investigative journalism. And uh, over a period of time, I said, okay, Let's, let's do something different and to tell stories in a way that no one has. I was trying to remember how we got introduced. I actually contacted you about another type of fraud that I felt was silently escalating in the UAE. Coaching, coaching fraud. What are some of the biggest types of crimes that you're seeing in the local market? Cybercrime and crimes linked to cryptocurrencies and, and dubious and trading platforms. So cybercrime sticks at the top of the list because last year alone, Dubai police registered 25,000 e-crimes. So this is phenomenal. And from what we understand that in the days to come, already cybercrime is a $6 trillion industry. And the projections are that in the days to come, it's going to be increasing more. So in the UAE alone, in 2017, half of US adult population had been a victim of cybercrime. And because everyone is, is digital and everyone has phone and the penetration of Facebook and, and Instagram is so deep, people are more vulnerable to cyber crimes here than they are probably anywhere else. So that is a big, big area that people need to be cautious about. And cyber crime, we talk about like ransomware, ID theft, hacking of emails, instances where people control your devices, hack into your system and put some kind of malware there. So that is one huge area. The next crime that is more rampant is about cryptocurrencies and, and dodgy forex platforms. Like, you know, as recently as about last week, there was a story about this coin called Dubai coin, you know, which came out of nowhere. And based on fake reports, the value of the coin increased by 1000% in 24 hours. Could you imagine? And the coin didn't even exist. Like, you know, last week, we had a story about Shah Rukh Khan launching a trading platform in the UAE. You know, it was bizarre. And it was so well written that people fell for it. To make the scam look legitimate, they had testimonials from... Oh some, my God. Yeah, yeah, they had testimonials from people who were supposedly living in Sharjah and Abu Dhabi and everywhere. And they had a Shah Rukh Khan picture as the lead story. And with this fake CNN logo, like a saying that Shah Rukh Khan is launching this cryptocurrency. Shah Rukh Khan, for people who don't know, is... Shah Rukh Khan, of course, is the, big, is the biggest Bollywood star, and he's also the brand ambassador of Dubai tourism. He lives in Dubai. I mean, he has a house here, doesn't live in Dubai, but he comes here very often. He shoots his movies here. So everybody knows Shah Rukh Khan. So this is called Celebrity Endorsement Scam. This is one scam that is tailor-made. So if they do the scam probably in India, they'll use someone else. If they do it in Philippines, they'll use their, their local uh, celebrities. 
So here they used Shahrukh Khan and to make it look legitimate, they had testimonials from supposed UAE residents which didn't exist. What about the other crimes like murder, theft, etc.? Well, murder, thefts are uh, always a very safe place. So those crimes we don't see much uh, often. But Ponzi schemes, investment scams, forex scam, coaching frauds, like the one that you talked about. Mm-hmm. So these are rampant. Like, in, for instance, we had this essential scam, which affected a lot of people. Then we had this Hira Group scam. Then we had this uh, Sunfuse scam. All these scams affected a huge amount of people. So you get all these leads coming to you. What makes you interested in a story? Anything which is community-focused, anything which has reader relevance, anything which affects people directly. So we pick those stories, go deeply into it. We just don't report what's happening. Like, uh, we just tell you how it is happening, who's doing it, who's behind it, and what you can do to avoid being falling victim to a scam. But what a lot of people right now is that there's a big team behind each one of these stories that comes to print. If we look at the story, for example, of this serial sex predator, the one who posed as the CEO of a non-existent chartered airline and who offered high-paying cabin crew jobs to aviation hopefuls in the UAE, and all of these unsuspecting women who applied were called to the hotel rooms, these five-star hotels, on the pretext of job interviews, but were instead drugged and sexually assaulted. The man, thank God, is currently in jail. How did that lead come to you? Yeah, this story happened around this time last year and this was during the pandemic. So if you're doing investigative journalism for as long as I've been doing, you become the first stop shop for anyone who's in trouble. So people seek you out. So in this case, a European woman found me out and said this is what has happened to her. And it was hard to believe listening her plight that in Dubai, a woman who goes for a job interview is drugged and sexually molested. And then we thought, okay, could this be a one-off case or could there be more to it? And then she said, no, there, there's another woman. And it's okay, there are two now. So we said, okay, let's see if we can, if we can find more. So we developed a mechanism where we could spread the word among cabin crew aspirants, among young women who were looking for a job and see if they have also been similarly called to hotel rooms for interviews. And lo and behold, within like few days, we found about 26 victims. I couldn't believe it. And what nationalities were these women? Well, most of them were from Russia, Ukraine, but there were also some from Lebanon. And there was a girl from Brazil, I remember. There was one from uh, Italy. They're all in their mid-20s. They're all either from modeling backgrounds or from hospitality industry or from aviation backgrounds. What people may not realize is that in each of these situations, there's an internal process you have to go through to get the story to print. So with this particular case, you've now got all these women coming forward. How do you then take this story to print? I'm assuming that you would have to work with the local authorities now. Yeah, the first stage was to convince the editors. So we had a meeting internally and said, this is what is happening. And this is what we should be doing. We should be doing something to take this predator off of the streets. But how do we go about it? Whether we, we cannot mention the woman's name, we cannot put their pictures, we cannot put the suspect picture. So we had an internal meeting with editors and then then we involved authorities and said, okay, this is what is happening. Now, the bigger challenge was for these women to testify because they were scared. This man had blackmailed them. They said, okay, if you go to the police, you'll be arrested. So all these women were, were petrified. So to to convince them, 
to to go to authorities and then we had authorities to meet them in restaurants and cafes and then we had to work very closely with the police while making sure that we don't do anything give this guy a whiff that we are on his trail so everything had to be done in clockwork precision and dubai police you know we all know how good they are once we they had all the details and all the relevant uh, testimonies so and a picture of the guy they knew his identity and of course we laid a trap and then they caught him so you got his picture probably from the cameras um in in the hotel so the the police are now informed and they're working with you on this case so you set up a trap so you have this woman perhaps an actress that is um posing as a candidate so you set up this trap and you're there the police are there um and and then what happens he was absolutely stunned he was taken aback he didn't expect to be caught so soon i mean he would have probably carried on what he was doing so but then we the bay police is very good at what they do and once they had verified the details when they got everything together they wasted no time and now he's behind bars and uh, facing charges we got to know much later that there was another case in oman where a man was doing something similar but in that case they had 56 women uh, reported on the same time now we don't know whether those guys were working together whether they had some kind of competition going on we don't know but the similarities are so like eerie around the same time two men are caught in different countries doing the same thing but as a journalist i think that there 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 was something more to it there is the issue when you're writing the news of defamation when it comes to exposing the truths in the media your hands are tied to an extent because of defamation laws here in the gulf the laws can be complicated around free speech so under english law like slander libel refers to making a false statement that is harmful to a person's reputation the difference lies in how that statement is expressed slander's remarks are spoken while libelous remarks are written and published which means defamatory tweets could be considered libelous not slanderous keep in mind what makes a statement libelous or slanderous is its inaccuracy not its harshness no matter how nasty a tweet as long as it's factually correct it cannot be libelous truth is an absolute defense to defamation you might wish a customer hadn't said something derogatory about your business but if what the customer said is true then you have no legal recourse now under dubai law people argue truth is no defense to defamation and we're referring to federal decree by law number 5 of 2012 as amended article 20 under criminal defamation people are coming to you mazar and saying this is what i would like you to do are you hesitant of the implications what's your take on resistance journalism um which is a huge threat to investigative journalism the type of work that you do we take huge risk every time we publish somebody's name because unlike other countries if you prove that the guy that you wrote about is a thug and you prove it you're fine but here even if you prove that the guy is a thug and he has done such bad things you can still be sued for defamation and that is what happens with us all the time so even though we have written the story and we've got everything covered and we have proved that this guy is a convicted fraudster by law he can still file a case against us and sue us as recently as some time back there was a drug lord he was extradited from the uae to a foreign country and he was really big he was like almost like narcos level so we reported the story based on the fact that this guy has been sent to another country on the request of interpol for the straight story i did not even go into the details of it but because he mentioned his name 
the lawyer filed a case against us and we were sued for defamation. So as a journalist, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do what we are doing to be able to tell stories at, the, at huge personal risk because if you, God forbid, if you are convicted, you go behind bars or pay a huge amount in fines. What made you continue? The media should be allowed to do what it does uh, because that's the only way we can tell the truth. And this is the only industry where you are paid to tell the truth. So journalists should be allowed to do their job in all fairness and uh, they should not be subjected to defamation case when there is no malicious intent. I look at the stories that you write about, Mazal, from the perspective it's 2021 and how far we've come from when I first arrived in Dubai and the newspapers were largely playing it safe. I mean, the top 10 Friday brunches was the main story. There's definitely been a transition in the reporting of the news spearheaded by the likes of yourself, a fearlessness in reporting the news. Yeah, that is true. When, when I came to Dubai, I was told, oh, you know, this is Dubai, you cannot do anything. But in terms of press freedom, Dubai has a better ranking than countries like India, where I was working until now. And we have been able to constantly raise the bar of investigative journalism in this country by uncovering things which were considered taboo. Like who would have thought that someone would be doing sting operations, someone would be doing undercover, someone would be doing uh, posing as someone. But these stories were affecting people's lives. I mean, how else can you uncover something? If I had to uncover a job scam, I had to pose as an applicant. If I had to uncover bootlegging, I had to go and buy liquor. Uh, you know, if I had to uncover gambling, I had to go and go onto the street and try gambling. So we were doing all of this. Everyone has an interpretation of defamation here. So I wonder if we can just talk about that for a minute. And what is your interpretation of it? Well, as a journalist, if you are, if you have covered everything, if you have got all the facts, and you're just putting the story as it is without embellishing it with, with drama or with something, something which is not true, then it should be fine. But in many cases, you have to mention people's name. Like Jill Wallace Hope, she was a convicted fraudster who was ripping off people. So we had to expose her, we had to publish her name. The same happened with this guy who was supposedly dead. There were pictures of him lying dead with cottons in his nostrils. There were obituaries of him, but he was out there scamming people. So what do you do? So you have to publish his picture and his name as well. So we shouldn't be sued for this because we are uncovering something which is for the larger public interest. So in this case, the defamation law should not apply on journalists because there is no malicious intent. What they're doing is a public service. So what you're saying is that you um, focus on the facts of Absolutely, everything. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you have the facts covered, if you have, if you have not made any personal remarks against anyone, if the story is not doing any agenda, then it should be fine. I think, I think from talking to people, there is confusion on the interpretation of the law here. And that confusion, I think, is what people and companies misuse. What I mean by misuse is that they take advantage of people's uncertainty and fear to get away with a lot of things in Dubai. And I see this all the time. People challenge things and they get into trouble for it. And it makes people withdraw from wanting to embrace and debate conflicting opinions professionally. Because some may argue that the law does not allow for that kind of nuanced debate. And they slap a legal notice on you, even if what they claim are the attacks upon them are based on facts and very mild. And to avoid that and to be on the safe side, 
some people do play it safe. And as I said, the downside is that other people and companies take advantage of that. Let's talk about what happens to you when you speak out, when you bring your stories to print. You get backlash, real threats, death threats, broken windows, bribe offers. I mean, it's vicious. And if none of that works on you, you've got quite a collection of legal notices served upon you, threatening defamation, as you say, and threatening to imprison you under the local law. How do you tackle the psychology of that? The only thumb that I apply is that if I'm not going to do it, who else will? So regardless of the consequences, I continue doing. Does it deter me? No. When it happened in the beginning, I was affected, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I was rattled. Like, you know, when the first time I was called to the police station or when the first time I was sent a legal notice. But now it's like, you know, another day at work. So, in fact, when nobody calls me to threaten me, I kind of say, okay, what's wrong? Like, nobody called me today. <laughs> yeah. And there in the beginning, it did affect me, but not anymore. Because this is what I do. This is the only thing I can do to make a difference. If I was writing a story on the benefits of eating dates, no one is going to sue me. But if I'm doing something which rattles people, then of course I must be doing something really good or correct. So it does affect me in the sense that, uh, you know, it takes away my time. But does it bother me? Does it, does it kind of stop me? Of course not. Even it steals my resolve even more. So there was a time when I was spending my mornings in the police stations and afternoons in court or the other way around. But now I'm used to it. Just out of interest, what kind of bribes do you do you get? I mean, are we talking global village tickets or something more? All kinds, from a million dirham in cash or in your bank account in India or here to uh, things like watches, expensive ones, not the one that you buy from the... Karama. Karama, uh, expensive watches. iPhones several times and uh, job offers. And there was this company that that had about 40 or 30, I can't remember, uh, land cruisers. And they said, okay, you just pick one of them, whichever you like. So it is it is insane. And Mazo, you've never lost a case. Um, you've stood before a criminal judge countless times, and yet you have never lost a case to date. And in fact, you have been supported by the law and the courts. Absolutely, which is the good thing I like about Dubai, that regardless of the number of times they've been sued, at the end of the day, the judge saw that, okay, this guy is just doing his job and uh, he's, there is no malicious intent and we won every single case that we have been filed against us. That's great. The entire Gulf has strict reporting restrictions. Every newspaper follows a protocol that checks every story before it's sent out to the world. And it's usually signed off by their media lawyer before it's published. I know from working with them on the Neil Grant articles, they want every comment to be substantiated. Every word is checked for mistakes. They don't want to take anything to chance. And sometimes they really strip the story. They remove or dilute any color around it. For example, they won't even mention the name of the hotel where the company in the story is based. Well, because there have been instances when we have been sued only by mentioning, I remember there was a case when a woman committed suicide. So we said, okay, the suicide happened in this building. We're not saying that this building killed him, right? But the owner of the building, they filed a case against us for defamation. It was ridiculous. Then there was another instance where a jilted lover goes into somebody's office and sets up an alarm and then kills one of the workers, like uses the baseball bat and like hammers it to death. This happened in Silicon Oasis. So we do a story and said, okay, 
this murder took place and this woman was working here, this company, right? We did not mention the company, just said that this she was uh, in this building. Now, the owner, they filed a case against us for defamation. But of course, that case was thrown out. Again, it goes back to the interpretation of the law of defamation here. And when these cases come before the court and the judges, we do have common sense in place. Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of times people try to intimidate you and they try to use legal notices as a threat. They try to, but in the end of the day, any good judge will see through it and say, it's rubbish. I should say at this point, a legal notice, by definition, is a way of notifying individuals or organizations about a legal matter. And it's the first step in commencing a lawsuit against them. Maza, I found it's never been a case that the government, courts, or taking your freedom of speech is the people interpreting the law to protect themselves, to prevent a story being printed that puts them in a bad light. And they then threaten you with legal notices, cases to silence you, etc. That happens all the time. I just want to move on to an interesting um, personality, Radha Sterling. You exposed her. This was a big story and a bit of a sigh of relief for the locals. So to give some background on her, every time I read about a British expat who had got themselves on the wrong side of the law here in Dubai, the name Radha Sterling kept popping up in the UK media fighting their corner. And honestly, I initially thought she was some sort of humanitarian or from the British Council or, or part of some Anglo-Dubai relationship manager genuinely helping to alleviate the situation. And it was the story about a group of young British adults caught by the local police. And the story that was coming out of the UK media peddled by Sterling was that they were being mistreated. Things like, you know, just surviving on bread and water, unable to call their families or get legal support, all that sort of thing. It was so not true. We were working on this case and the reality was this group of young adults couldn't have been well looked after. So prisoners can receive a maximum of 500 dirhams a week. Every Wednesday they shop at the prison store where they can buy anything they want from food, beverages, toothbrushes, etc. If they don't have money, then the prison provides basics so you don't go hungry. And the prosecution was responsive and never once refused to see anyone or from the families who wanted to plead for their child's release. No visitors are allowed in the jail because of COVID-19, of course. Yet the captain let a father have a Zoom call with his daughter in the prison and he gave the girl his own phone. I mean, of course, it's not ideal. But what was so striking was that what was being reported in the UK press was totally wrong and unfair. And it really damages the Anglo-Dubai relationship when they have been nothing but accommodating. So who is this woman and what is her motive? Radha Sterling comes across as a woman who, who just thrives on bad-mouthing Dubai. But why is that? Because that is where the money is. So that, that is how she operates. This is her modus operandi. So first she spreads a bundle of lies about Dubai. And it is sad that the UK media thinks that she's some kind of champion, which she's not. So this is how it is. Like, uh, I'm going to explain the whole, whole modus operandi. First, she picks up a case and comes up as a defender of, of uh, like, you know, human rights and everything. Then she raises money on behalf of these uh, women. Not just that, she gives interviews to the Western media for which she's paid, and we have evidence. We have audios where she's saying that, okay, I'm going to sell this interview to this media, this is what I'm going to charge for it. So she's taking money from the victims to file the case. At the same time, she's selling their stories, which is not true, to the UK media and taking money from them. And in many cases like this one, she had no involvement. 
absolutely nothing and everything that she said was a lie so we spoke to the lawyers who were defending this woman and they said that who is this woman they don't even they haven't even heard of her so but this is what she does every time something happens she has this uh, dodgy website she has been suspended her account has been suspended from by twitter she should be exposed well you have exposed her which no, is no, great even, yeah we have exposed her but she should be exposed before the western media who still believe her lies well i think it's important that the experts out here um are wary that if something does go wrong not to call her absolutely yeah because it, it stay can stay away be from her stay away from her that's a lie she's a bad influence she's going to take your money and do nothing because we have not one multiple instances where radha sterling people who have sought her help have got nothing they've lost their money they've lost their reputation and they have been unwittingly been involved in spreading lies Well, it was great, Marcel, that you exposed her. And as I said, it was a big story here for the locals because she was really causing a lot of trouble between Dubai and the UK. Well, on that note, Marcel, I'm going to say it's been a pleasure. I really wanted to highlight the role that the local media and journalists play because hats off to you all. That consistency, that determination, that stickability and that commitment to the art of writing, but also telling the news is really to be commended. And you have to love what you do and believe in it. Thank you so much. Maza all the best. Thank you. Our thanks again to Maza Faruqi for that. Very much enjoyed that exchange. You can follow Maza on Golf News and he's very active on Twitter. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Behind the Scenes. Be sure to tune back in next week as we continue focusing on the expat journey in Dubai. Take care.